All right, good morning. Hey, some of you guys came in while we were sitting down here. We're glad you're here today. Thank you for coming to worship at Dorisville Baptist Church. You know, there's a lot of churches you could go to, go to. We're just so excited you came today. So we pray that God will bless us in a big way, bless you in a big way today. Now, today we get a new series. You can tell because we had a new movie. You can tell that. And it's called The Insanity of God. And that's a, such an interesting title. We borrowed that, if you will, we stole that from the book by Nick Ripkin. And you need to write that down. Um, it's, it's called The Insanity of God. And he, was, he served in Somalia. And I won't tell you this every week. But he, he served in Somalia uh, doing some uh, relief work there. Met Christians. It's, it was that horrible time when there were only like 160 Christians in the entire country. And most of them were killed. Um, people were dying by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, and some say even by the millions during that time. And he left there um, only when his son died suddenly of asthma, an asthma attack over there, and he died. And they came back to America, and they began really searching. He began searching, why does God allow the things that he allows? Why, why is it that people are willing to trust God in very difficult circumstances only to see themselves martyred for the kingdom. And it's just a really, really great read. So The Insanity of God, I highly recommend it. It's a great book. And if you stop and think about it, it's a very appropriate title because so often God doesn't make sense. In fact, so often things just seem a little crazy, crazy. Um, the whole concept of the gospel that, that we were sinners and God loved us enough to send his son Jesus Christ to die for us, just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Some people say, well, God's not fair. And, and I want to say, boy, aren't you glad he's not? Because in fairness, we would be like condemned to hell. Um, in fairness, he would have started all over again, thrown in the towel when Adam and Eve sinned and said, let's try you know, mankind 2.0. Let's try that. But he didn't. Instead, he sought to redeem. So we want to spend the next four weeks, and we're going to look at John chapter 11, and then the first part of John chapter 12. And again, only today probably will I mention these, but they're in the video. We start today with the first 16 verses of John chapter 11 with the word explanation. And we talk about the sovereignty of God. And then in the midst of great trouble and trial, we hear a great declaration of faith. And then on Easter morning, what perfect timing, huh? You know, on Easter morning, we talk about resurrection. When Jesus Christ commands Lazarus to come forth from the grave. And finally, in week number four, we have a party. And we're going to talk about celebration. So I really think it's going to be a great four weeks together and the Word of God. And I just want to encourage you to be sure and come um, every single week. But today we want to talk about, and go ahead and take your Bibles. And it'll be on the screen. It's on your sermon sheet. But go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. And we want to talk about the sovereignty of God particularly as it pertains to pain and suffering in our world. So her name was Ashley. Ashley was the typical college senior into the party scene, into all that college life means so much to so many in this world. And then something happened. She had a new roommate. And her roommate was a believer in Jesus Christ, but not really like on fire like. And so she went to a Louis Gigolo conference, a passion conference, and it radically changed that roommate's life. She came away just really on fire 
with faith in Christ and, and, and God and all that that means and came back and met this new roommate. And Ashley had never really thought a whole lot about God. And so they started a conversation. And, and her roommate showed Ashley a video of the Passion Conference. And one of the things she says is that Louis Gigolo presented the gospel, not like most preachers who talk way over your head, but down where we could understand it. And she began to realize just how much God loved her. And she received Christ in a really big, dramatic way. I mean, 180 degrees. We mean literally going in one direction, coming in another. I mean, in her own words, in, in an email that she sent Louis Gigolo, she said, I experienced life for the first time. I mean, it was really radical. Well, of course, graduation comes in May. And then about a week before graduation and right before her birthday, she was driving and somehow lost control of the car and she hit a light pole. She was critically injured and her family, of course, rushed to the scene, uh, to the hospital, and they needed for the bleeding to stop. And so her younger brother was already a very strong Christ follower and he prayed that God would stop the bleeding so they could do surgery and save her life. Ashley died. And it was so devastating to this young man, this believer in Christ. And I'd like to read, and I read this email probably four years ago, five years ago, but you've been here before. Some of you have been here, some of you are going to be here, and you've had these emotions and these feelings. It goes like this. Typical high school fashion. He starts the email with, Yah. Whatever that means. Yah. I've been having a hard time dealing with all of this. It's really too much to bear. It's not fair. I'm really having a lot of trouble comprehending that she is really dead. I get so angry with God every day, almost to the point where I do not like him at all. My youth pastor says it's okay to be angry at God, but I cannot see how that is true. It's not fair. My sister should be starting her birthday celebration week, not in a grave that will get fresh flowers. I've never really asked God for anything out of life for myself. In fact, I've always really enjoyed intercessory prayer and laying hands on others. But I'm not sure I can believe that God even answers my prayers anymore. I prayed that God would stop the internal bleeding so that the doctors could perform surgery. But in the time that I needed him most, he ignored me. I feel like I cannot even talk to him. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I even want to. What is the point if God is not going to listen and respond to me? I've seen God heal people. I've seen someone with terminal cancer completely healed because of the power of prayer. God has done so many miracles for others. But the one time I
and he did not care. Which makes me wonder if everything I've ever believed in my whole life was for nothing. But then I feel so guilty for almost not believing in my Savior. Have you been there before? Have you had a loved one who was sick and you prayed and it didn't happen? Have you ever been impacted by a tragedy in a young life or someone you hold dear was suddenly just snatched from you? Have you ever really wanted to do the right thing you felt like and then the door closed dramatically right in your face? It leaves us wondering, really does God care? Really does God love? Really, if he's so good... Why is it all like this? Today in John chapter 11, we want to look at this. And it's it's a wonderful story. In fact, it's a story that most of you will be familiar with. I'm hoping we can take a few journeys on the side, take a few side trails, and discover truth and cement truth in our life that will help us when, not if, but when these times come. Now, there's not all the answers. It's not all of a sudden like I woke up this morning or planned this sermon a few weeks ago and all of a sudden God gave me a magical insight and I have all the answers. Just like Jacob, I don't have all the answers. But I do have a few. So in John chapter 11, we have in the first three verses, we have almost like an introduction to the players. And it starts like this. Now, a man was sick. Now, you get that. A man was sick. Now, let let me pause and say something. This is a hard topic. Now, probably I'm, I'm amongst friends today, but there just might be someone here today who says, you know, you Christians... You church people, you, you, you grab a hold of all of this and base it on this. And this was just a book written by men. Now, I want to tell you something. This is more than a book just written by men. I know we live in an age of skepticism. We live in an age when people question everything, it seems like. But just stop and think. This, this book is millennia old. And... I always like to point to this because I think it's so, so important. When they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls um, back in 1946, 7, somewhere in there, they found a copy of the book of Isaiah, which is in this book, a complete copy. And it was written somewhere like 300 years B.C., 200 years B.C., before Christ, that particular copy was. And when they translated that copy of Isaiah, amazingly, it was exactly like the copy we have today. Muslim friends will tell you, if you have Muslim friends, they'll tell you that, that as Muhammad received the Quran, what they call the Quran, the, their holy book, that he received multiple, multiple revelations. Now, they will tell you this. And they have wise men whose sole job is this. Determine which revelation was the latest because one revelation would supersede another, which would supersede another, which would supersede another. So they have to find out which one they think is right. This amazing book has remained true through the millennia. There have not been any revisions. 
We'd never had a preacher who had to come along and say, whoops, that part, Jesus said that, but now no longer is that true. And this book, it's like it was printed yesterday. I mean, it's so applicable. So here's what I want to challenge you. If you have questions about the Word of God, I want to challenge you to spend some time in the Word of God and just read it for yourself. Don't take your history professor down at SIU's opinion about the Bible. Get into it yourself and decide what you believe about this book. And if you're, if you're really up to a dare, a double dog dare, I dare you to say, hey, God, if you're really real and this book's really real, show me. Show me. And you just might be amazed. So what I'm going to say this week, or this week and then the week's coming, and every week, as a matter of fact, is based on this book. And we understand, if you know a little bit about the book, that when God created the world, he created a perfect world. I mean, there were Adam and Eve, there was no sin, there was nothing, it was just a great, I mean, it was awesome. God's big plan was that man would live in this perfect environment as perfect beings of his. And Eve chose to sin, and then Adam followed suit, and sin came into the world. And when sin came into the world, then that's when sickness and sorrow and death and fear, all those things that we say are bad, came into the world, not as God created it, but as we made it. So when you get frustrated with, with the situations in the world, and, and you know, again, 100, 100 people or more die in Yemen when, when two suicide bombers bomb a mosque. How crazy is that? A, a, a guy gets angry at a driver and shoots her in the head. How crazy is that? I don't think anyone would argue today that there's a lot of evil in this world. But just remember... That is not the way God created it. That's how we made it through our sin. So we would have no problem saying there was a man who was sick. We're all aware that there's sickness in the world. Just be aware that that wasn't God's original plan. That happened when we introduced sin through our rebellion into the world. And then we learn this man's name is Lazarus. Now just kind of write this down if you're taking notes. His name means God is my help. That's important because of what happens in the story. So we have a man who's sick, whose name is God is my help. And then this man has a couple who's from Bethany, which is about two, two miles from Jerusalem. And he, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So we have Lazarus and two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Lazarus' name means God is my help. Now we get a little more information that makes it more poignant for us. It says this. Now Mary, verse 2, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. Now John, the author of the book John, has given us something that hasn't happened yet. We're going to see that as part of the celebration in John chapter 12. But it's a common story that was reported before this was put in print. So the readers would have gone, you know, oh yeah, oh we knew Mary. Yeah, that Mary, the Mary who anointed Jesus at the party. Oh yeah, we, we know that one. Now imagine how much Mary must have loved Jesus, even though it's future, how much she must have loved Jesus to spend that kind of money. This perfume was like, like months and months and months worth of salary. This would be like if you had some money in the bank kind of thing. So, so we had this Mary, and she breaks his face, and she pours this oil and anoints the body of Jesus. 
in pure love and appreciation. And it's her brother who is sick. So you have a guy whose name is Lazarus, and in God is my help, you have these two sisters. They're all really good friends with Jesus. We're going to see that as it develops in the story. They're all great friends with Jesus. And Mary's love is so deep, she she sacrifices this vase of perfume to show her love for Jesus. And it's their brother who is sick. Now, now you're probably saying by now, boy, if anybody's got an in, it must be these guys. Because, you know, you almost have like an in with God to get things done, you know. We think that. Well, they sent a message. And here's what the message said in verse number 3. So the sisters sent a message to him, Jesus. Lord, now notice how she, they word this. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, again, if anyone's got an end with Jesus to be healed, boy, Jesus has done some pretty miraculous things. I mean, this is not out of the realm of possibility for him. He, he, could, he could blink. He could wink and fix the situation. The one you love is sick. Now, the implication there is there's no request made, but sometimes you don't need a verbal request. The implication is the one you love is sick. And because we know you love him, certainly you want to fix him. That's a dangerous assumption. Because you see, God's love has nothing to do with his performance. God's love has nothing to do with his performance. See, there was a certain spirit of expectation. And again, I hope you'll come back all four weeks because the way this weaves together is incredible. Because whenever you have the expectation that God's love is shown in his performance and what he does for us, you are writing a recipe, you are writing prescriptions, you are writing a subscription for disappointment. We have somehow been taught in this crazy world, our crazy world in America, that somehow if God loves us, he'll fix us. If he's mad at us, he won't. That's, not, that's so unbiblical. That's something we dreamed up. The Jews kind of had a saying, come back tonight in the evening worship. We're going to talk about that. That if God blessed you, then he liked you. If he didn't, he didn't. So they have this brother who's sick, the one you love. There's an expectation there, and there's a, a prescription. There's a setup for disappointment. Please let me just say it again. If that's how you see it, it is no wonder that you're disappointed with God. If you see prayer as a magic formula, if you see uh, service, faithfulness as a magic formula, and you've served and you've prayed and got nothing in return, it's no wonder you're sitting there going today, I can identify with this. I can count more times that God disappointed me than he did bless me. No wonder. No wonder. Because you've hooked God's love with his performance. Bad combination. Bad combination. So the Bible says. In verse number 4. So when Jesus heard this. When he got the message. He said. This sickness. This sickness will not end in death. Now again. If you know the story. You know it does. But it doesn't. Because. You know. There, there's a. Well I can't tell you. Then you won't come back. But he's saying. Ultimately. This sickness will not end in death. And may I just stop? Can I just do a pause? 
You've got to understand something. I'm going to tell you something that you and your heart believe, but we act like we don't. For the child of God, for the child of God, for the Christ follower, for the disciple, for the Christian who truly has placed her faith in Jesus Christ, no sickness ultimately ends in death. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you may die physically, but spiritually you live forever and forever and forever and forever. And ultimately, this sickness will not end in death. But we've got to believe that because we act like we don't. We act like we don't believe that. But Jesus says, knowing what's coming, he says, this sickness will not ultimately end in death but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I'm going to read that again real slow. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, there's enough information there for me to share with you and for you to figure out that somehow this sickness in God is connected. And there's something bigger going on than if Lazarus lives or dies. And that something is, is that God will be glorified and Christ will be glorified. Now, again, this is where it's going to get hard. But I want to share from my heart and from the word of God. We have got to grasp a hold of that. As we journey through life and we have to see the sicknesses and the tragedies and all of that, we have got to hold on to the fact that there's something bigger going on. That there's a bigger picture going on. And God asks us to trust God with the big picture. Things we can't see. Very often, especially when a child of God goes through a sickness, when a tragedy occurs, there's something God is trying to do and teach That we may not see. Someone once said. No suffering is for nothing. When God is involved with suffering. It has a purpose. You get that? Now that changes things. Just a little bit. So Jesus says. That this sickness. Is all about God being glorified. And his son being glorified. And ultimately. It will not end in death. So he goes a little bit further. Verse 5. Now, first we hear, Lord, the one you love is sick in verse 3. In verse 5 we hear it this way. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Let me read it again. Now, Jesus loved, and the word love there, in case you're interested, is the word agape. When, when Martha said it in verse number 3, Lord, the one you love, that's phileo. That's, that's brotherly love. But when Jesus says it in verse number uh, four, okay, verse number five, it is the word agape, which is dying, sacrificial, God love. So Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. That is a declaration. And no matter how this story plays out, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. No matter how the story ends, Jesus loves 
Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Now look at me. No matter how your story plays out, whatever that story is today, you lost your job, you missed a promotion, one of your children is sick, whatever it is, Jesus loves you. No matter how your story turns out, you now listen, I'm talking to Christ followers. If you are a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ, you have got to anchor that in your heart today. No matter what the doctor says, no matter what the company says, no matter what your friends say, no matter what a misguided pastor may say, God loves you. Do not, do not, do not let your circumstances determine God's love for you. Do not let your circumstances determine God's love for you. If you ever get in a situation and you need a declaration of love, I turn to my left, you look to your right. And there it is. What happened 2,000 years ago on a Roman's cross? Really, and that was just the culmination of, of it, but because it started even back in Genesis 3 when sin came into the world and God made the first promise. And, and one, one scripture even says before the foundation of the world was laid, Jesus was like a slain lamb of God. But what happened here... 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ willingly, willingly died on a cross, when Jesus Christ allowed himself to have nails driven through his wrist and through his feet, when all this occurred, it was God's megaphone saying, I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Don't you let a prayer pray that didn't get answered the way you want it tell you God doesn't love you. Don't let a tragedy that comes in your life shout to you that God does not love you. Do not let some wayward person whisper in your ear, God does not love you, because that forever says he does. That is your anchor of God's love. That says he loves you. So things are going to go really south here for Mary and Martha pretty quickly. And things can go south with us pretty quickly too. But today... We anchor our hope in the Christ of the cross. That he loved us. Even, even while we were sinners, Romans says. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's our megaphone of hope. So Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And so, and here, here we go. We don't have to wait any time at all before we get in trouble. So when he heard that he was sick, the one he sacrificially loved, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Dwayne, you just spent 15 minutes telling me how much God loves and he loved Lazarus and his name means, you know, God is my help, God is able. And, and then when Jesus gets the word that he's sick, he doesn't go? Yeah. Because there's something bigger going on. There's something more than what we can see on the surface here. There's a beautiful... You've got to come back next four weeks. As we see this planned out and played out before our eyes. You know, we cling to that promise and it's so wonderful. All things work together for good. For those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. And that is a declaration. It's Romans 8.28. It's a declaration that there's something bigger going on. It doesn't mean that all things are good. It doesn't mean when a death occurs it's good. It just means that God can bring good out of the most difficult of circumstances. See, God is working. David likes to pray this. This is one of the things I listen to him pray. You know, for, for, his, for his glory and our good. The trouble is... Our good isn't like what we like sometimes. C.S. Lewis said this. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. I'll read it again. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. And this was going to be painful. And you probably know by now in your life that sometimes circumstances are pretty painful. So Jesus stays two more days. Now, now if you need a little help with that, if, if, if you feel like you just need just a little bit more, okay, here's, here's the news. We're going to learn later on that Lazarus dies, and time Jesus gets there, he's been dead four days. It would take one day of travel for the messenger to get there. Jesus waits two days, and then he has a day of travel to where Lazarus is. One, two, three, four. What does that mean? About the time the messenger left to come to Jesus and say, Lord, the one whom you love is sick, Lazarus died. Lazarus is already dead by the time Jesus got the word. Why did he wait, Dwayne? Because it's playing out. You've got to come back. It's playing out. I'll give you this hint. The Jews had a superstition that, that the spirit would linger near the body for up to three days. And so Jesus is going to do a really tremendous miracle. And this was not going to be a healing. It was going to be a resurrection. So to remove any doubt that Lazarus was dead... He waited. He wanted him stone cold dead. He wanted him dead as a doornail. Because God is going to use this to bring glory to his name. And he's going to bring glory to his son. You think you have it bad. And then in the process, this event. Sets in motion the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because this miracle is so big that a guy was decaying in the grave four days. And Jesus resurrected him. The Jews finally said, enough. 
We just can't have it. So amazingly, he waits two more days. We have got to hurry. Verse 7. Then after that, after he waits two days, verse number 7, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judah again. Now, the significance that is, is Judah, Jerusalem, is where they want to stone Jesus. There was not a I Love Jesus fan club in Jerusalem. Last time he was there, just a chapter or so earlier, the, the Pharisees tried to stone him. So when Jesus said, let's go to Judea, you can probably understand why the disciples say, Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Now they don't know Lazarus is dead. They're saying, you know, we like Lazarus a lot. Are you sure you want to go back there? Are you sure you want to go back where you'll get stoned? I mean, that's a real dangerous thing. And Jesus said, now, now, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Yeah. Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. And if anyone walks in the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. When Jesus said, don't you know there's 12 hours in a day? And both the Romans and the Jews worked on a 12-hour clock. There were 12 hours, basically, of daylight. And when Jesus said there are 12 hours of daylight, he's confirming one thing. He says, just like I know that tomorrow morning the sun's going to rise about 6 and go down at 6. It's done it for hundreds of years. It's done it for thousands of years. Just as sure as I am there's going to be 12 hours of daylight tomorrow, I am sure that my father's in control. He's saying, now listen, this is important. He said, my life is not contingent. Upon a, a Pharisee's rock aim. My life is not in the hands of will he hit me or miss me. My life is in the hands of God. And so is yours. And so is yours. And also he's teaching us that, that, that God being in control can be trusted. Now remember. Remember he's going to Jerusalem to do what? Nailed to a Roman cross. Nailed to a Roman cross. But he knew not one thing was going to happen out of sequence. That his father was in control. I can't promise you a perfect life. These preachers that stand up with their health and wealth baloney. They didn't get that from the Bible. They may have got it from Reader's Digest. But they didn't get it from the Bible. I mean, Jesus himself said in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Nowhere, nowhere do we see in the lives of these men and these earlier followers a life of ease. We see a life of pain and suffering. But hold on, my child, need to say. Hold on, my child, because joy comes in the morning. You may not get it here, but it will be there. Well, after he said this, he said in verse 11, he said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but on my way, I'm on my way to wake him. Now, sleep is very frequently, a, um, it, it's a parallel with death. So they didn't get it. But here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Our friend Lazarus has died, and I'm going to awaken him. I'm going to resurrect him. They didn't get it. Because they said, 
Well, the disciples said, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. Because, you know, when you're sick and you finally get a good night's rest, it means your body's healing, the fever breaks. They totally missed it. And sometimes we miss it too. Have you ever misunderstood God? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one reason he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us just a little more understanding. It's incredible. So John explains and says, well, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. Verse 14. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Boys, you need to understand something. Lazarus isn't snoozing. He's dead. And this verse, this verse 15, if you remember nothing else, probably this is to take me home that you've got to underline your Bible and you've got to star it and you've got to study it. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. That is so huge. He looks and says, Lazarus, my friend and your friend, the one whom I love is dead. But I'm glad I wasn't there. What? Whoa, whoa, Jesus, time out. You're saying you're glad you waited two days? Are you saying you're glad that Lazarus died? And that makes no sense unless you understand there's something bigger going on. You know, Isaiah chapter 55 says, listen, God says, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours, says the Lord. You know, it just boils down to this, guys. Are we going to trust God or not? Do we truly believe that God is for us? And if God is for us, who's going to be against us? Are we, as we journey through this life, are we genuinely willing to understand and anchor our hope in Christ and believe that God loves me? He loves me when I walk pretty straight, when I walk a crooked path. Once I become his child, he loves me. And none of my performance will ever change that. He Loves me. And look at me. He loves you. I am so amazed. And you are too. But I'm amazed a little bit, I know. But we're going to be really amazed when we get to heaven. Just to the extent that God will go to bring glory to his name and to help us. Because you see, if Lazarus hadn't died, you know, the boys had seen, the boys had seen a lot of healings. You know, they had followed Jesus. They had seen all kind of things. But they haven't seen a guy four days dead. Now, I won't go into graphic detail, but you can imagine the temperature effect on a decaying body for four days. It wasn't a pretty scene. There was no Reed Funeral Chapel. There was no embalming process. The reason they normally buried the same day, because the body started decaying that day. They had not seen this. And in just a few months, that's coming. And the sheep will be scattered without a shepherd. And what's about to happen in John chapter 11 will strengthen their faith like no healing could. 
nor like a one-day funeral procession to the widow of Nain and the boy raised. This is something they have not seen, and it will grow their faith. And let me tell you something. There are things that we need to learn that can only happen like this. There are things that we need to learn that can only happen through these kind of difficult circumstances. Trust God, even when it doesn't make sense. Trust that somehow God is orchestrating in our lives and this universe a plan that is so much bigger than us. Give me about one minute because it's a great story. In the book of Acts, James, the the brother of John who, who wrote this, James is, is arrested and killed. And yet, a few days later, they arrest Peter, and he's set free. God rescues him. Why did James get martyred and Peter didn't? Was Peter a bigger player? Did Peter have more people praying for him? No. Just God said, I can receive the greatest glory by the death of James and the life of Peter. That's crazy, Dwayne. I know. That's why we call it the insanity of God. And that's why God's saying to us today, no matter where you are in your circumstances, will you trust me? I keep going. No one knows the movie anymore, but Aladdin. You know, the Disney character, you know, when Aladdin reaches his hand down to the princess and says, will you trust me? And it's like God is reaching his hand down into our lives, into our hearts, And one time, would you now declare your trust in me? You trusted me with your soul. Now trust me with tomorrow. Trust me with this circumstance. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it doesn't break our hearts. It's just that when the time comes, that will be my anchor. And I will not let my view of God be shaken by circumstances. I will not let my my view of God's love be shaken by circumstances. I point to the anchor of love, to the anchor of hope, to a God who said, I love you so much, I'll die for you. I'll die for you. And this is so significant because the truth is, it's coming. There's a circumstance. There's something going to happen. And now's the time to nail it down to your anchor. So the bottom line is this. Are you willing to trust God today? We know the story. Most of us know the story. Probably by the end of this week, everybody's going to read it. I'm going to see how this thing ends. So we know the story. But are you willing now to nail down I trust God. I trust God. And you might be here today, and you might be going, you know, I, I don't know. This is a new story for me. Like I always thought about Jesus at Christmas and Jesus at Easter, but I really didn't get really what that meant. And I just need to tell you this. If you're here today, And you may have tried your share of church and your share of religion, but you've never heard about this. That God so loved the world that even even while we were sinners, 
God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If I was a salesman, I couldn't sell you religion. Religion is performance-based. And it will frustrate you. But I can sell you grace. Because grace is God's way of reaching down to man as unworthy as we are. And says it all depends on me. It doesn't depend on you. And today you might be willing, and you've got to do this. If you're walking this path and this is the things you, you know, your life, how you want to live it. You know, the Bible says we've got to turn around. That's repentance. We've got to turn around. And you've got to turn around because the turn around too is to follow Jesus. Not just turn around. See, if you're an alcoholic, you may turn away from alcohol, and that's a good thing. But if you turn away from alcohol to Christ, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. So turning and following. So you may be here today, and this is a new story for you. You might be going, never knew God loved me that much. He does. And my friend Brent will be down front, and we would love to share more about that. Everybody's going to have their head bowed in a minute. We're like trying to embarrass anybody. But Brent's got some answers that you need to hear. And so we'd love to invite you to come down and say, okay, Brent, I want a little bit more about this. And we would love to share it with you. Would you bow your head right there, please? Ask the team to come on up. God, you are so incredible. You really are. We don't understand. I'm glad we don't understand because this just makes you bigger. It just makes you a lot bigger than us. And we need a really big God. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm grateful, God, that there's a bigger plan than I can see or understand. Because it sure adds some kind of purpose to what happens in this world. Because it seems so crazy sometimes. I'm thankful for the promise Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful, Father, that because of the death of Christ, Your Son, and the resurrection, that the end doesn't have to be the end. I'm grateful that because it's grace, that's an all escape, that any person who chooses to place their faith in Christ and believe what He did and receive Your grace and Your forgiveness can have eternal life. I'm grateful for that. So Lord, I don't know what you want to do. Holy Spirit, I don't know what you want to do today. So I just turn it over to you. Draw people to yourself. Speak understanding, Father. If, if people need understanding about a certain circumstance, I pray you'll speak that understanding into their lives. We just need for you to be big and do what no man can do. Jesus, we pray this in your name.